This is the Future Forward Aarhus podcast, where we're exploring tomorrow, today, on the radio. Catch us live Wednesdays at 6 p.m. on Student Aarhus Radio. Hi, I'm Rocio Valderrabano. And I'm Karis Hustad. Welcome to the sixth episode of Future Forward Aarhus, where you explore the future with us. Every other week, we bring you stories, interviews, and vignettes about the entrepreneurs, changemakers, and futurists right here in central Jutland. So far, we have explored the future of urban spaces, fashion, migration, and most recently, relationships. On today's episode, we will dig in the future of languages, specifically how we are learning them. So, we always experience some difficulty when learning a new language. But is it really that hard? Well, it all depends on your background. For example, the Foreign Service Institute of the United States has developed a ranking. It's divided into five categories to show how much time it will take an English native speaker to learn a language. The easiest ones, like Spanish, Dutch, or Romanian, need between 23 to 24 weeks and 600 hours of studying, while the hardest ones, such as Chinese or Arabic, require 2,200 hours. Danish actually falls in the first category, as it is a language that's closely related to English. But Chio, as I tried learning Danish, and to be honest, <laughs> I will be honest too, after six months here, yet Danish itself is not easy at all. The sound system, syntax and morphology makes it more challenging. And if we dig more, we would find that Danish has around 30 different dialects. So imagine that if we can't learn the basics, now speaking the 30 variants. No way. A big number if this is a big number if we contrast to the fact that it is only spoken by approximately six million people around the world. Five million here living in Denmark. And uh, the Danish newspaper The Local, for instance, asked its readers how long it must take an outsider to learn Danish after living in the country. The most popular answers were between four to five years and two to three years. So I'm not even in the halfway. Also, in the near future, current students may face challenges to continue their Danish language education. Why? Because a new tax plan looks to reform a law where foreign citizens need to pay for Danish lessons that currently are free. This is part of a strategy to reduce taxes in the country, but the final decision won't be known until summer. So we'll have to stay uh, tuned there. Um, But that's actually what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Um, we're going to explore alternatives that have been developed by entrepreneurs living in Aarhus who want to help people learn a foreign language. First, we'll hear about a startup that connects people for in-person language exchanges. Then, we'll hear about an award-winning language learning methodology that uses hip-hop to teach Danish. And finally, we're going to talk about the weird and wonderful world of phonetics with a language researcher. Between Rosetta Stone and Duolingo's hundreds of millions of active users, it appears that people are more and more likely to turn to their computer or phone when it comes to learning a language. Not to mention, Google recently demoed a pair of earbuds that can translate communication in real time. Imagine if you had a device that whispered translation in your ear, would you still want to learn a language? I don't know. Despite these developments in the tech world, I talked to an Ohus-based startup that believes languages are far from being disrupted and their platform could soon provide a big solution for foreigners in Denmark. Take a listen.
a chilly Monday night in a bar in Old Beast. Four people sit around a table with a beer in their hands. I'm Rami, I'm from Aarhus, Denmark. I'm David, I'm from Colombia. I'm Marina, I'm from Russia. Mariana from Finland. Here's the thing. They all speak English, but Rami also speaks Danish, and David speaks Spanish. Marina speaks Russian, and Mariana speaks Finnish. And that's why they're all here tonight. These four didn't meet up just by random chance. They're here for a meetup organized by the startup Swap Language. It's an Aarhus-based tech platform that connects people for in-person language exchanges. The goal is to help travelers, students, and language enthusiasts share cultures and learn from native speakers. One person speaks in their language. Someone else responds in another language. The whole conversation feels like a metaphorical babel, but over beers. Swap language founders believe these chats are the path to true fluency, even in the age of translation technology and language apps. You probably know, for example, uh, Duolingo, like one of these many apps that teach you sentences and you have fun on your phone for like five minutes and then that's it. But languages are all about communicating. That's Alan Hermanson. He's a master's student at Aarhus University, and he co-founded Swap Language with his fellow student, Nicholas Wallstead, back in 2015. The idea for the startup came from Alan's own challenges learning Spanish in Argentina. And when I arrived, I got the biggest cultural shock I've ever gotten. Like, after two weeks of not being able to communicate and just seeing people looking down on you because you don't understand what they're saying, that almost made me buy a ticket home after two weeks. Um, so I started actually taking this seriously. I took an intensive Spanish course, and I started to speak to all the people on the street I met. Which was kind of funny, like I would ask the same question, excuse me, do you know where the supermarket is? And this person would tell me, really fast, they speak really fast in Argentina. Oh, you have to go down the street and turn right and then it's on the corner. And I would probably understand 10% of this. But I was, lo I was looking so intense on this person because I wanted to see the body language and the tone. And then I would ask the next person the same question. And then that's how it evolved. Alan's personal experience learning Spanish is backed up by language research as well. Researchers at Georgetown found immersion, including conversations with native speakers, helps people learn language faster and develop native-like brain processing of grammar. Plus, when you're talking to someone as a friend rather than a teacher, the conversation can mean a little bit more. You have these connections already before meeting, and that's a way of uh, networking, communicating, building up uh, your own... Uh, social uh, space, really, in a new country. Plus, you get the language from a native speaker, plus the culture within it. So it's really a, a, a package of integration and internationalization of both the local and the foreigner. So here's how Swap Language works. Users sign up for the online program, sharing their location, the languages they speak, and the languages they want to learn. Users can browse potential language partners and set up a time to talk, either online or in person. There are in-person meetups with bigger groups of language learners, like the one at the bar in Aarhus. Currently, Swap Language has over 4,400 members across more than 100 countries, with meetups popping up across Europe. The most popular languages are Danish, German, French, and Spanish, but users speak languages from around the world, including Chinese, Hungarian, Bengali, and Swahili. Danish, however, may become an even more in-demand language on the platform. A new tax agreement is set to end subsidies for free Danish classes for foreigners. 
Each module will now cost 2,000 kroner. Given Aarhus and Copenhagen have the most members of any city, particularly among foreigners who want to learn Danish, Alan sees this as an opportunity for the startup. I really believe that swap language can make a difference here. Like, uh, of course, the lang- there will still be people doing the language courses, but it's going to be going to be expensive now. And swap language has this free service where they can find the native speakers. So I think we can do a huge difference, really. Back at the bar, the group is chatting about, well, what else? Language. The conversation may not be perfect, but David from Colombia and Mariana from Finland said that's what they really appreciate about this meetup. You know that the other person is also trying to learn a language and that... That makes it easier for you. The threshold, then you try to understand that the other person wants to communicate something, but they may not be able to do it perfectly. So I think that's fine. Whereas if you interact with native Danes in daily life, they just speak fast and they switch to English. And I would say that here in this context, it's super important because everybody is aware that your, you know, your like your level is either non-existent or very low. I mean, in my case now, for example. So to know that the other one is aware of that and I don't get these weird facial expressions like, what did you say? What are you trying to say? It's, it's more like, yeah, 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 go on, go on. And that's, that's actually the, uh, the magic right now. That mutual vulnerability, encouragement and connection is also why Alan believes that language learning will remain strong, even in the age of translation technology. I like this saying, I think it's Mandela that says it like, if you talk to a man in a language he understands, it goes to his head. But if you talk to a, a, a man in his own language, which he grew up with, you talk to his heart. And that's so true. Like, if you show a person that you've really sat down, understood his language and his culture, and the way you speak sounds exactly like him, this, this man will do anything for you. He will help you find a sta- place to stay. He will help you find a job. He will help you with anything and it's probably also going to be a good friend just by learning a language and that's something that an earplug will never be able to do. Thank you, Caris. This was a very interesting reporting, but I still have some questions. So when you joined to this meetup group, did you swap languages with anyone? Yes, I actually did. And I was definitely not expecting to um, because I am one of those native English speakers (laughs) who finds all languages, whether they're Danish or Arabic, um, pretty hard to learn. Um, But I have learned some French in the past and a little bit of Hindi from when I was living in French speaking and Hindi speaking uh, countries. So um, there just happened to be someone there who spoke Hindi and we shared some, you know, the little vocabulary I had. And then um, I really tested myself with um, someone who is French who wanted to learn English. And I decided to jump in and just and give it a try. And it was a reality check because (laughs) I certainly have a long ways to go. But 
um, it was actually probably the the best way I've ever tried to learn a language. Wow. I, I think I will try one day go there. But before we change topic, have you used apps or tech like Duolingo or Google Translate? Do you think they will completely disrupt language learning? Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely have used Duolingo, um, which I think is still really helpful um, just for getting somebody to try a new language that maybe they wouldn't have tried before because it's right on your phone. It's very convenient. I think that's why they have, I think, over 100 million uh, active users because it's it's really easy to actually jump in. And Google Translate, you know, it's just helpful. I had an unfortunate incident at the grocery store where I got the the kind of cheese Uh, that, to put it kindly, is very smelly because I did not correctly, um, I didn't know the Danish word uh, that, I, that I needed to know to tell my different cheeses uh, apart. So um, for those kind of little instances that can really save your life in a pinch, I think Google Translate will still um, work. However, um, in terms of completely disrupting language learning, I'm not so sure. I think um, ultimately actually going to a country immersing with people is going to be the way that um, languages are always learned. Rap is today one of the most popular music genres, and it has been used also for educational purposes. For example, here in Aarhus, three years ago, Soran Lekovic created the project Learn Danish with Danish Rap Music. And during the past two years, he has been running voluntarily his project in collaboration with Lerdansk Aarhus. The aim is to improve students' pronunciation. And the project has been so successful between students, teachers, and internationals that last year it was awarded with the European Language Label. That's a prize that recognizes initiatives in teaching and new techniques of language learning. Rocio talked to Zoran about how he came up with this idea. Let's take a listen. My name is Zoran Lekovic. I lived in Denmark for 24 years. I came to Denmark as a Bosnian refugee, as a nine-year-old kid with my parents. They brought me and my sister here. I guess when I started in Danish school for the first time in eighth grade, it was difficult for me in the classes to try to learn, read out loud. I was the only kid in the eighth grade class who couldn't read, who didn't speak Danish. So for me to read out loud was a very stressful thing. I remember sometimes crying at night because I knew I had to read out loud or a ditch school or something if I had to give a presentation. It has been a long time since you arrived to Denmark and suddenly you came up with a project of using rap music to learn Danish. How do you come with this project? When I was a teenager, I liked American rap music a lot and I listened a lot to that. And when I started in Danish school, I met some uh, some students in the class who also like rap music, but they listen primarily to like Danish kids who like Danish rap. And I wanted to hear what Danish rap sounds like, so I borrowed their CDs, and uh, specifically two bands, Dengale um, Pose and Öskos Hoslas at that point. And um, and I liked the sound of it, so I, I used to rap along and listen to it a lot. And then recently, like three, four years ago, I, I started thinking, why why didn't why did it take me only so, such a short time to become so good in Danish that I actually lost my Bosnian accent I thought I, I learned Danish pronunciation especially very quickly and then I remembered all of the times that I was rapping along to these songs I actually improved my pronunciation every time so um, I came up with the idea to actually try to, to, to teach people use rap music to teach people Danish pronunciation 
I've noticed that many people in academia use rap right now to teach uh, uh, to teach kids and adults uh, some other subjects. So, for instance, there's a teacher, Ron Clark, from uh, United States, who who wrote a rap song about American uh, presidents to teach kids history. And uh, and there is a rapper from Canada, Baba Brinkman, who uses uh, rap to teach biology, for instance. And uh, last but not least, I saw Michelle Obama record a rap song in the White House a few years ago. The song was about how important it is for kids to take education. So when I saw Michelle Obama rapping in the White House and throwing uh, hand signs and stuff like that, I thought I shouldn't be too shy to rap in a classroom. It shouldn't be that embarrassing for me to rap in a school. Uh, you should definitely be able to teach language. And then I thought about why rap, when rappers pronounce, if you use the correct rappers, they pronounce the words correctly uh, as the way, as you would use them later in, in, in daily speech. I often use the Whitney Houston argument. If I was to teach somebody uh, English who doesn't know English at all, and I use the song by Whitney Houston, she prolongs the vocals so much that you have no idea how to pronounce the word later on. So or even for Danish, like uh, if you if you have some some a rapper saying "Ja, tsharaliu," I'm tired of life, for instance, you they would say "Ja, tsharaliu," but a singer would say "Ja, tsharaliu." So so you wouldn't know how to say the word af afterwards if you don't know any Danish at all. And also they have a, like there are more words in the rap song usually than in pop music. So you would also get a bigger vocabulary at the same time. How do you choose the songs for the students? For me, it's very important when I choose a song uh, for my class is that it's a very clear pronunciation. Also thing I'll look for is uh, that the lyrics have a, have a message or they have have words which are used in everyday life. So for instance, I use many love songs, but, but a rap love song consists of many different rhymes and many different words. When you are at the classroom, do you play the songs in the normal speed? Do you play with the speed of the songs in order to people to understand? Yes, rap musicians often uh, perform very fast. So even for Danish people, Danish rap can be hard to catch. But when I when I use these um, songs in my class, I usually play it regular speed first, and then I say what the song is about, and then we play it slower speed for, for, for people to be able to learn it much easier. And then when you learn it, you can rap it as fast as you can. We have classes once once per week, um, every Tuesday, and depending on if it's the beginning of a semester or end of semester and stuff, we have like between 20, sometimes 20, sometimes 30 students, sometimes, sometimes it's only five, six, but it, it started with only two students. And what, I, what makes me happy is in the classes is that people who, uh, who come one time, they usually come back. How do you feel music helps to people commit to a language. Music is all about emotions. So I think when we're more emotional, we learn more. I mean, if you struggle with something, you usually don't learn it. That You don't you don't feel the joy and you learn it slower. The music is a very emotional thing. And then when you when you feel emotional, you I think you learn more and are more engaged in your in your teaching. Thanks for that reporting, Chio. So tell us more about this group. Did you feel that you improved your knowledge of Danish during the class? At least 
I improved my pronunciation. I'm sure of that. Absolutely. So how many songs did you practice in your first session? And how can people keep a record of the music that they're rapping? Well, I practiced only one song, but there is a Facebook group that uh, after the session, they share the songs that uh, you sang that day. And you there can look, if you miss a session, you can look uh, which was a song and then practice at home. And sometimes you find interesting music that you add to your playlist. So it's a very good tool. All right, so are you going to uh, spit any verses for us now? No, no, because my Danish is not very good right now. But I promise that if I improve, maybe in June, I can sing something. Okay, we're going to hold you to that. Make sure everyone tunes back in in June when uh, Chio is going to uh, do some Danish rap for us. I wish that uh, people keep updated. Maybe I will give a surprise between May. I won't wait until June. Okay, maybe, maybe. all right, you heard it here. You can find out more about these Danish rap sessions on a photo gallery that we have on our Facebook page. That's at facebook.com slash futureforwardorhus. We are familiar with the saying, think before you speak. But have you ever thought about the way you sound when you speak? Let's listen to Laura's report for more on this. Consider the following tongue twister. Betty bought a bought some butter. But, she said, this butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, it will make my batter bitter. This is what the tongue twister sounds like if I stress out the T in every word without a glottal stop. And this is what it sounds if I make the T glottal. Betty bought a bought some butter. But, she said, this butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, it will make my batter bitter. Believe it or not, there is an entire field of research dedicated to analyzing why sounds like the T in butter is pronounced the way it is, and how it came to be like this. This field is called phonetics, and while it is a very specific branch of language, it can be applied to a variety of fields from engineering to biology. I interviewed assistant professor Misha Heine from the Department of English at Aarhus University to learn more about this research. Hi, my name is Misha Heina. I work at the Department of English at Aarhus University uh, and I teach courses on language variation and change, which include sociolinguistics and the history of the English language. And my research interests are within language variation and change and phonetics and phonology. What is variation in language? Uh, in language, there are a lot of different types of variation. So, for example, as I talk, you might say, uh, that I pronounce my T's very differently from many other people. Uh, so you might be interested in, okay, how come that there is variation in how people pronounce their T's? Does it depend on the region? Does it depend on their sex? Does it depend on their gender identity? Tell me more about the sound of language. The official name is um, Sounds of Language and Speech, uh, but everybody calls it Fon Fon for Fun, or which stands for Phonetics and Phonology for Fun. Uh, and it's a very informal group uh, that serves as a forum for not just as one might expect researchers, so academics, but also for students who are, I hope, getting excited about potentially doing research. Do you work with every language in this group? Any language. Uh, but it so happens that many of us are based at the English department, which means that English is a very frequently discussed language. But we also work in Denmark, so Danish is the other most frequently discussed language. What is phonetics and why do we need to study this particular mm -hmm. branch of language? Mm -hmm. It's any aspect of speech or language 
that has to do with sounds. So as long as something is coming out of our mouth, it is of interest to a phonetician. But you can also use phonetics uh, if you are interested in forensics. So if you work within forensics, it's uh, very important to know what features are likely to be associated with one dialect as opposed to another, so that if somebody says, oh, I was the caller uh, who threatened that there is a bomb in this building, if you then compare that recording uh, about the threat with the speech of that person who supposedly, who admits to having done that, you might you might say, okay, how likely is it that it's the same person? I attended a conference that was primarily aimed at speech engineers, but they were interested in how uh, analyses of uh, people's voices can predict uh, whether you have one type of a psychological disorder or another type of a psychological disorder. And they did find that uh, phonetic analyses can predict in very early stages whether you are more likely to have uh, one disorder or a different disorder. What is changing in language research? I think the main difference that I have noticed within my short academic career uh, is uh, a difference in the methodology. So in the past, uh, it was much more common to, for example, sit and think, okay, does this sentence sound good? Is this how I think people speak? Uh, would anybody say it this way? And um, I think it's a good thing that now we want more than just that. Uh, so now we actually have to go out there and ask people, okay, does this sentence sound good to you? Would you accept that as a grammatical sentence? Or if you work with sounds, then you have to record people speak and then have a look at every single T within that conversation and carefully uh, analyze uh, which context that uh, T appears in and uh, compare different groups, whichever groups you are interested in. What are some of the most recent uh, salient findings of uh, of this research and what are some of the implications? Regarding uh, voice quality, I found what other studies have found uh, that uh, in the uh, during your ovulation uh, your voice quality becomes breathier. There is also perceptual research not done by me uh, that suggests that female voices are perceived as uh, most attractive uh, during the ovulation phase, so that seems uh, to fit uh, the findings done by others. Uh, then there are many people interested in um, in uh, text-to-speech and speech-to-text um, uh, types of work and speech recognition. So uh, if you are interested in technology uh, that reacts to your voice, uh, then in a way you have to work with phoneticians. Do you see the possibility for a universal language in the future? I think as long as there is variation in society, there will also be variation in language. If the question was whether linguistic diversity is likely to decrease, I would say I don't think it will disappear, unless the social divers diversity disappears, and I don't think that's very likely. A uh, quirky question, what's your favorite word? Bumblebee. <laughs> really, why? It sounds cute. Okay, you as an expert in the field, um, what would you like to learn? In the future. So if I was being unrealistic, uh, I would say that I would like to know the answer to what's known as the actuation problem, which is the problem of how do we predict or how do we explain that a specific uh, language change happens where and when it does. 
the second problem or question I'm interested in is the constraints problem. So what factors affect uh, sound variation? Um, and I think that we first need to understand what constraints there are on how we speak before we can understand why a specific change happens when and where it does. So here we see how phonetics as a very specific study can be used in a variety of fields and how such a small part of language is still so complex to analyze, even with today's modern technology and statistical tools. Groups like Sound of Language and Speech are a step forward for talking about results and discussing further research. If you want to know more about this informal group, check out soundsoflanguageandspeech.wordpress.com. That was our reporter, Laura Galante, on phonetics. Chio, do you have a favorite word? Yes, and my favorite word is in Spanish. It's apapachar. That is a way to give love to your beloved ones in such a Mexican way. What about you? Do you have a favorite word, Caris? I don't have a favorite word, but I feel like I can at least share the Danish national word, huga, which is honestly, for as much as we use it, overuse it, it's still a lovely word. So I'll, I'll, I'll claim that as my own. Well, you are going now to export the Hugo to the U.S. Yes, we would love Hugo, that's for sure. I think that's probably what the U.S. needs more than anything right now. Welcome back. You're listening to Future Forward Olhus, and today we have been talking about the future of language. Before we end today's episode, we'll share confessions from our experts. Where is curiosity driving them? And what would they like to learn in the near future? Today, Zoran from Learning Danish with Rap Music explores the possibility to learn some programming. Let's listen. I'm thinking it's interesting to learn to code, to, pro to learn programming. And I actually started a master's in something like this. But they told me before I started that it's like learning a new language. But because I learn usually learn new languages through rap music, I didn't think it was because nobody described programming in, a, in rap yet. But I would like to try to learn uh, to program in, in a few years to see if I can learn that either by myself or maybe sign up to a course or something. So, Chio, we explored languages today. Are there any items on your language bucket list? Yes. To be honest, I want and I need to learn German. So I have uh, started a course with some other Munich students here. We have so nice German classmates that are teaching us some words to arrive in the following months when we have to move out from our house. So German is like the first language now on my book at least. And also to recover some other studies I have done in French and in Italian that I don't want to lose. So yes, that those are in my book at least. What yeah. about you? Well, I was going to say, apparently, um, German is uh, harder to learn than Danish. So if you've made any progress on Danish, you're going to be just fine when it comes to German. I hope so. I really hope so. But just I, I want also to listen if you have any language hidden in your bucket list or maybe that you have studied before and you want to continue with. Yeah, of course. I did study French before and I feel like if I just really pushed Uh, if I just went to France or went to Morocco or went somewhere where it's actually spoken, I absolutely could pick it up again. So I think that's definitely on the bucket list. And also, yeah, I think um, Hindi is another language that I had the opportunity to learn a bit. And I just found it to be a very fun language um, and really exciting to actually kind of unpack that puzzle. So I feel like that could be a really cool one as well. And 
I really should learn Spanish. I know that. And I think it could be really fun to learn. So perhaps we'll have to set up uh, some kind of exchange. We can try then a show with our different languages here. We have like people from everywhere, China, Spain, Indonesia. So yes, we can maybe try a, a future show and mixed languages. All right. So instead of a universal language, you see us more going towards uh, <laughs> um, all of the languages spoken at once. Yes. Well, it could be a nice experiment to the people of this phonetic uh, lab here in Aarhus University. We'll have a very small but very dedicated audience for that episode. <laughs> for sure. But for now, this is our show. So today's episode was uh, co-hosted by me, Rocio Valderrabano. And me, Karis Eustad. Our technical editors today is Mustika Habsoro and our feedback listener is Lucia Camblor. Our jingle was mixed by Xiao Liang with music by Simon Matheson. Remember, you can find us and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash futureforwardarhus and subscribe us to iTunes. This is the Future Forward Aarhus podcast, where we're exploring tomorrow, today, on the radio. Catch us live Wednesdays at 6 p.m. on Student Aarhus Radio. radio.